Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. We're a church family in North Carolina with a vision for people to experience the grace of Jesus, be filled with the Father's love, and to release the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's this week's message from Mooresville. What I'm going to talk to you about this morning is, is you know, I believe there's a thing that God has given all of us. Uh, everybody on this planet has a power that God's endowed to them. It's called the power of choice, right? Every one of us have a choice. God didn't, he created man with a choice, and man used the choice to take the wrong direction back in the beginning, right? So we all have this power of choice. And one of the things that I've discovered in my life is I can choose, listen to this, if you can get this, this can really radically help your life. I get to choose what I think. You choose what you think. Nobody's forcing you to think something that you don't need to think. Now, this is very biblical, okay? It's very biblical. And so once we begin to understand that we can choose our thoughts, we can begin to control our thoughts, control how we think, and the way you think is going to direct your life. I'm going to read this just in case. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You know, the, one of the best people I know about let has got this let thing down pat happens to be Becky. She used to say this to me, Byron, would you like to help me by cleaning the bathrooms? And I would always say, no. Are you kidding me? I would not like to help you do that. Well, she kind of figured it out. And then I'd go clean them begrudgingly. You know? But she figured it out. Now she does this. I'm going to let... You clean the bathrooms. And so she does that. I'm going to let you do the dishes. As she's walking out the door, like, no, you cannot leave these dishes to me. I'm going to let you do this. You know? So she, if you really want to know about let, just talk to her. She can teach you let. Okay? And it's like what when Jesus says, let the little children, that's what she's saying to me. I'm telling you, you're doing this. This is the way this program works. It ain't no options on this. <clears throat> so we can let the mind of Christ be in us uh, if we choose to. That's really what Paul's saying here. Uh, and then he says this in verse 6, Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Isn't that beautiful? He didn't feel like he had to... It wasn't robbery for him to be equal with God because he was God. He is God. Isn't that beautiful? But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. Isn't that such a beautiful scripture? So, you know, but let me just tell you this about letting go. I, I did want to finish this. I never, I really in this wreck destroyed that message last week, I feel like. But, but you can let go of something, a person, a situation, and still be a bitter person. Just letting go alone never works. That's, and I, I want you to get that. You've got to let God in. You've got to submit to God. And you've got to let His grace operate in you. So I love the whole thing of letting go. But the, the truth is, uh, if you don't let God into the situation, you know, and let His grace go to work, you're going to, you, like I say, I know a lot of bitter people who have let go of what made them better. But they're still bitter. 
because they didn't let God get in. They didn't let this, this grace of his work in their life. Isn't that, that's amazing, I think. Yes, sir, it is. Less a very powerful word in the kingdom of God. Well, the Bible, <clears throat> here, let me just tell you a few little things here. I've did a lot of messages over the years on, on the mind, on thinking and thoughts and the mind, right? Y'all, some of y'all may remember that. Uh, for many years because what I've, like I say, what I've discovered, I've been on this journey in my life about my thought life and learning how to think properly and learning how to have a renewed mind. <clears throat> so the Bible talks here, he says, it talks about let this mind which was in Christ Jesus be in you. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, I think verse 16 it is, it, he, Paul talks about the mind of the Lord. And he also talks about the mind of Christ. That's the only three places where he directly references the mind of the Lord, the mind of, the, of this in Christ or the mind of Christ. But in, uh, there's other references that, that ref, are referring to. When the Bible talks about uh, in Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that's, the Bible's literally talking about receiving the mind of Christ. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about us developing some beautiful thought life in our intellect that we can think through things and intellectualize ourselves into good times. Literally, the, the new mind, the, the rebuilt mind, is, is really learning how to think with the mind of, of Jesus. This is a profound truth of the Bible. And he also talks about that in, in uh, I think it's 2 Timothy 2, verse 7, where he talks about a sound mind, right? We, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind. There's only one sound mind in existence. There's no other sound mind, and that's the mind of Jesus. He's the only one that has pure 100% soundness. Are y'all following this? So I found this, this is profound. I'm just trying to inter- get you in on this, <clears throat> you know, while I can. And get you in on something good. You know, the gospel is good news. I'm talking about some good news here that we can get the mind of Christ hot. That's as good as news you get. You get to think God's thoughts. You get to look at somebody and hear what God's saying about that person. That's pretty profound. Oh, I wish I'd have known that when I was a young father. When my kids were young, I wasn't great them days. They could tell you that. Somehow or another, God gives people resilience, though, right? They forget how bad you were. Well, Becky didn't. <laughs> I yelled at one of my grandkids last night. Because they locked everybody out, locked their doors. Nobody could use the bathroom. Nobody could get in the room. And was in another house. And he said, well, we can do this at home. We can get it open. But you ain't home. And I yelled at him. And she, you don't mess with a mama bear. <laughs> you go apologize to him. <laughs> so that's what you do when you mess up. You go apologize. Like, mama. Yeah, I'm sorry I yelled at you, even though you deserved it. <laughs> Anyways, think about it like this. The first message, the first preaching that Jesus did was about the mind. The, he said, repent, change the way you think, 
for the kingdom of heaven is right here. He, right from the get-go, he was going after, hey, there's another way to think. There's another source of thinking available. You can tap into something new. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's the tree of life that's now here. And you have been living all these years thinking from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And now Jesus came and declared, you need to change. You need to change your source. You need to shift and learn how to shift away from the tree of knowledge of good and evil to the tree of life, which is Christ himself and his kingdom. That's what, that was his first message. That's, that's pretty profound, isn't it? And so, um, and obviously we know, we all know this, or we should know this. If you really study the New Testament and much of the Old Testament, there's a lot in the Old Testament, but specifically the New Testament, there's numerous, numerous verses and references to our thoughts, our imaginations, our emotions. Numerous. Too numerous to list where, where the, the writers are talking about how we think, how we imagine, what our emotions are, because your emotions are all a part of your thinking process. That's pretty powerful. And then Paul tells us uh, uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, Colossians 3, 2, and, and in Philippians 4, 8, he literally says we have the power to control what we think. When in, four, in Philippians 4, he says, whatever is lovely, pure, and, and, and of a good report, think on these things, meaning you can think on those and not necessarily have to think about all this other bad stuff. I don't know about y'all. I need some help, and I've needed help in my life with my thoughts because I lived a life of bad thoughts, bad thoughts about me, bad thoughts about God, bad thoughts about everything. And God had to begin to work on me as a believer because it doesn't automatically happen, right? Like everything else, it just don't flop in, you know, it just don't. I wish it did, but if it, you know, but we might not value it. I don't, any, I'm not going to get on that. Okay. Are y'all okay? Yeah. So what you discover, if you really think about it, that your mind plays a major significant role, a major significant role in your spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical health. It, and I think that's been proven uh, scientifically, medically, they would tell you this. This is not just something from the Bible. Even though the, it, the Bible needs to be the thing that backs everything up, they're just catching up. Medical science is catching up. That, hey, the way you can think yourself right into a nervous breakdown. You, that's what worry is. You can worry yourself into the ground. We live in the future so many times. A bad future. What's going to happen? And you're living that future right this second when you're thinking that way. That's why Jesus said, uh-uh, don't think about that. Don't, think, don't, don't go there in your thoughts. Well, I'm sure y'all are excited about this. But I'm just telling you the truth. You want to live a victorious, successful life, both in your walk with the Lord, in your family, in your business. God has thoughts for you. And God can change things for you. But He really wants to change the thinking inside of you. I will say this one last thing. <clears throat> you know, there's been a lot of research done in the past five to ten years in the, in the field of neuroscience. Okay, and that's the study of your brain, the way you think. 
And a lot of it has come out where they, have, where they can actually look at your brain and look at thoughts in your brain, okay? The way a thought looks. They have these machines. I don't know about all that, but, okay? But they have these pictures of thoughts and lots of toxic bad thought looks like a briar, like a briar bush, all twisted and turned. You know, that's, that's what they've seen. And, but they've also seen how those very thoughts can be changed. And there can be relief on those thoughts. And those thoughts untwist. And even new thoughts can come. And, and it's like writing over those old thoughts. And those old thoughts are no longer there. And that's the renewing of our mind. You see, God really wants to do that for us. We're the believers. We have access to the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ. We absolutely, we have, but we, there's a revelation that needs to come to us to have that. Okay, let me, let me say it a little bit better than that. We have that, okay, in our spirits. When you're born again, you, you have everything. You, you're fully equipped. But in the realm of our soul, in, the, in, the, in, the, in our physical realm also, we don't have all that. That's why Paul said be transformed by the renewing. There is this thing that has to happen in your life for you to really begin to walk in this. And so here's the, this is such a beautiful, these scriptures I read to you are so beautiful because they give us some practical, very practical, not up there spiritual, but right down here in the dirt of your life, how you can begin to position yourself to and, and begin to receive those thoughts, begin for your mind to be renewed, to have these thoughts of Christ. Right here in these verses, he gives us like four or five things that are super practical. Would you like to know what they are? <laughs> I'm glad you do. <laughs> so, uh, number one, it says that Jesus made himself of no reputation. That's the first thing. In other words, for us to have the mind of Christ, we must not, prioritize reputation. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Oh, that's a sad situation for people who are big into social media. Because a lot of that social media stuff is, is geared on how many people look at your stuff. And you're trying to create this persona. You know, I'm sure y'all don't know it, but there's people out there that create this whole persona about their life that's not even the truth. It's a big fat lie. But they're, wanting to, they're trying to create this this. You know, reputation, this personality that's not real. Listen to this verse right here. Are y'all good with me? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, for this is Isaiah 52, I mean 53. Everybody loves Isaiah 53, especially born again Hebrews. Because it's the, it's, Isaiah 53 is the forbidden chapter for, in the Hebrew world. It says, for he, speaking of, this is speaking of Christ, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, before him being, being the father, and as a root out of a dry ground, speaking of the nation of Israel at that time. That's just symbolic language. He has no form or comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. This is, this is God they're talking about here. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and he was not, and we esteemed him not. So not only did Jesus not have a good reputation, he was actually 
a despised person, a despised human being when he walked on this, on this earth. He was not popular, but he was rejected and hidden. But listen, Jesus chose that. It was not forced upon him. He, listen, if we were sitting down at the beginning of our life and saying, hey, this is the, the plan for my life. This is the direction of my life. None of us would say, oh, we want to be on the bottom of the barrel. We want to be the scum of the earth. None of us is going to pick that. But that's exactly what Jesus did. He made himself, his choice, to not have a reputation. To not make his reputation great. That's what he did. So... If you pursue reputation, if reputation is the big thing in your life, if you, you know, y'all, you know, we talk a lot about people want to leave legacies, and all that's great, okay? That's a great thing. But see, Jesus didn't start out trying to leave a legacy. And I think sometimes those kind of things become too important to us. They become too important to us what everybody else thinks of us. A lot of people have rejected the move of the Lord in the past because they didn't want to be connected to something that looked so foolish. They wanted to be connected with something that looked good, that was attractive. And so you, you're trading away the mind of Christ. When we begin to have those kind of thoughts, we're, we're, we're cutting ourselves off from those, his thoughts flowing through us. So I read this amazing, amazing testimony recently that really sparked that, this thought in me. <clears throat> you ever heard of this guy named Lyndall Cooley? How many people ever heard of Lyndall Cooley? Lyndall Cooley was, there was a revival at Brownsville Assembly of God, believe it or not. Those guys have had some revival. Brownsville Assembly of God in the 1990s, 95, 90s, and it lasted, listen, it lasted for five years, and four and one-half million people came through that church. Four and a half million people. And you know, everybody who went there, if you wanted prayer, you got prayed for by the pastor of the church and, and a couple of the other speaker, you know, preachers. Steve Hill was one of them. John Kilpatrick was the pastor. They prayed for, they prayed for millions of people. In a five-year span. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible. Well, let me tell you about Lyndall Cooley. This is hilarious. Lyndall Cooley was invited to go down there because he was connected in that whole Pentecostal realm. These were Pentecostal people. He was connected all in that Pentecostal world, and they asked him to come down there to be the worship leader. Lyndall Cooley, this is what, he, this is what Lyndall Cooley said about himself. Here's who I was. I was a musician. I knew how to arrange music, compose music, have choirs, and put on programs. So I get down there, and this is what the Holy Spirit tells me. We ain't doing none of that. And he said it was embarrassing to him how terrible the music was. Here's the great musician, the great Lyndall Cooley leading this terrible worship team. They couldn't half play. He's embarrassed because he's been associated with a bunch of, you know, sorry musicians. But 
but the Lord was moving, and he, and he was struggling. He said, one night this lady was there, and apparently she was friends with, the, with Kilpatrick and those guys. He said, she was like the old-timey Pentecostal woman. I mean, seriously, with the bun on her head. I mean, the way she dressed. He said she had these shoes that looked like nurses' shoes, whatever that is. Long dress. But so, because she was buddies with these pastors over there, they knew about this woman. They asked her to come up and do a special song. Okay? And he said she could not hold a lick singing. It, it was, she, was a ter- she, she was terrible. But he did say this. The minute she started singing, the glory of the Lord filled that place. And it, it, was, it wrecked him. It wrecked him. She couldn't sing good. But when she sang, God moved. When she sang, God did stuff in people's life. And she looked at Lendl. And she, you know what she said to him? He said this was the shift for him. She said, Lendl, you're trying so hard to do what I did to release the glory. You have the glory in you. That's what she said. You have it in you. But you're going to have to let go of all this stuff. You're going to have to let go of what you think and just let that glory flow. If you'll let it, it'll flow out of you. And that's what he said from that point on, he was able to step into that river of God and, do, and lead worship. And it became amazing worship. They, I mean, it got good. They, all the other good stuff happened. So isn't that a great thing? Every musician will know that they would hate to be associated with bad musicians. Right? Nobody wants to be associated with anything that's bad. If they're good at something, like I don't want to be hooked up with those people. Because they're not good at it. But if God's on those people, those are the very people you want to be hooked up with. I'm telling you. And that goes for just musicians. You name it, y'all. We really, and, and my point is this. We really, and I've spent a lot of time talking about this. Maybe, maybe my reputation needs to be, it's already ruined. <laughs> it was ruined a long time ago. Yeah. I'm, it's too far down the road. Told somebody recently, they were telling me some things they were doing. Maybe you should consider it. I said, it's too far. I'm, I'm too far gone, man. Somebody else can do that. I'm, I'm sticking on what God's given me. I can't go back and figure all of that out. Well, the next thing is, I got to get going here. He took upon himself the form of a servant. Wow. So here's the key. If you're going to get the mind of the Lord, the thoughts of the Lord, you're going to have to embrace being a servant. Okay, we embrace the mind of Christ by choosing servanthood. There's a story in Matthew chapter 20 when James and John's mama went to Jesus. They got the mama to go and convince Jesus that they needed a special place. It's a bad day, y'all, when you're trying to get your mama to intercede for you, right? I'm going to get mama to talk to Jesus. Sure, he'll listen to mama, you know. And Jesus has this big conversation, but let me read what he said to everybody. Because it says, he called them to himself and said, You know what the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. And that's what he said, it shall not be so. But whoever desires to become great among you, now that's an important point right there. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. 
just as the Son of Man <clears throat> did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. See, see the world uh, says greatness is about dominion and being over people and having authority over people, but that is not what Jesus Christ declares to be greatness, okay? That is not how he approaches, what, how he sees greatness. So you should ask this question, how does it work if someone wants to be great in the kingdom of God? Because would anybody have that question? Would you be interested to know how to be great in God's sight? Let me say it like that. Would you like to be great in God's sight? Would you be interested in knowing how to be great in God's sight? Well, here's the answers. I got answers. Number one, the desire for greatness is from God. Okay? Because God didn't create us on this earth to be doormats. He created us on this earth to make a difference in this world, to, to impact this world, to bring his love and power in this world. That's greatness, right? Stick with me, okay? So the desire for greatness is from God. It's not wrong. It's how we go about achieving greatness, which makes it right or wrong. Do you hear what I'm telling you? It's how you go about it. Are y'all following this? He's not stopped saying pursue, stop pursuing greatness in the kingdom. He did not say that. He said if anyone desires it. In other words, the door is open for you to desire to be great. In his kingdom. He opened that door right there. And he's never shut it. So the desire is not bad. Don't stop pursuing it. Just stop trying to be great the wrong way. Is really what he's saying. Listen. Fame and greatness are not the same. They're not the same. Okay. Many people are known. Many people are famous. But many of those people we would not want to have anything to do with. We might even be, we would be afraid for our children to be around them, right? We're finding out all the day, every day, some Hollywood famous person we thought was just a great person maybe, that dang on, they keep your kids from them. If they're in the neighborhood, lock the doors, right? Fame and greatness are not the same. A hollow, a hollow ambition for fame never achieves kingdom greatness. Let me say that one more time. A hollow ambition for fame never achieves kingdom greatness. How do we achieve kingdom greatness? Jesus said it. Become the servant of all. That's what he said. We become great in the kingdom when we care about something that God cares about. That's how you become great. You find something that God cares about and you begin to serve that care and serve the people attached to that care. That's how you become great. You, be, you serve that thing. You serve God in it. You find out what God, what do you care about, God? What's on your heart? What speaks to me? That's what I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve that. And in God's eyes, you'll be great. You'll be great in his kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? Well, I'm sure y'all love that one. I'm going to, number three, I think number three. He was made in the likeness of man. Embrace your humanity. Embrace your humanity. So many Christians get weird when you want to get, especially they want to be real spiritual. They don't want to realize their humanity is important, right? God made us humans. We're humans. Oh, here's the weirdest thing, okay? Oh, 
You lost somebody that you love. Okay, you've had your two weeks of grieving. Stop grieving. That's ridiculous. You see what I'm saying? We're not robots. We're human beings. We have feelings that God created us with. Can I read this verse to you? Luke, are y'all okay? Luke 24, 39. Behold my hands and feet. That is... I myself, handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. That's one of Jesus' revelations of himself after the crucifixion, after his resurrection. And so this is such a beautiful thing if you think about it like this. Jesus was ascended to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Listen, a man is sitting on the, at the right hand of the Father. A man with flesh and bones like us. Okay, so what we had to do is we had to be, begin to value who we are as humans. God value, God saved humans. Um, you know, um, that's why you, in Genesis 6 when there was that flood and, and all, everybody died. And, and then later the Lord would say, kill off all these people. You know why he did that? Because their DNA was tainted. They weren't 100% human. Therefore, they couldn't be saved. Because God came to save humans, not people who had mixed with angels. That's really, that explains a lot about God. Y'all people are all mad at God about killing off all these people. They weren't humans. They were carrying DNA in them that was not from humanity. Because of the angels that came and got with women somehow. I don't know how all that worked, but I don't want to know. Right? I can, I'm good not to know. And so that was one of, the, one of the big reasons when you read the Bible and you feel like there's a mean God up there killing everybody off. It's like, well, these are not humans. And they're going to be bad and they're going to kill you. They're, they're, you know, you won't be around. There won't be no humans left on the earth. Isn't that something? One of the things we have to do <clears throat> as humans is we have to learn how to process stuff that happens to us. And I've watched some amazing Christians over the years not process stuff, but stuff stuff. You hear what I'm saying to you? Bad things happen in their life. But, but because they're trying to be a good Christian person, they're just going to drive on, keep going. Got to hold my head high. You know, I got to be a good witness for Jesus. You know, and I can't let people down or down me. But inside they're dying. Inside they're broken. Inside they're crushing. And what I have seen this over and over. I have seen people come to a point. It's like the tipping point happens. They're, that, that all that sorrow behind that dab one day tips over. And they, they have breakdowns. Their health falls apart suddenly. They have mental issues. Are y'all following this? This is value in your humanity. That's why ministries like Inner Healing and Deliverance, those are really important ministries to help people get repaired on the inside because what's happening on your inside is going to affect you on your outside sooner or later. It's going to break you. It's going to crush you. I have a family member right now that completely exhausted themselves for years caring for, for their spouse to the point it began to affect their mind. They went too far. They went and it began to take their mind from them. They began to have a breakdown in their mind. Their mind began to break down. Are y'all following this? 
And so I want to encourage everybody, don't just stuff stuff. I used to be world famous for stuff. Oh, I can deal, I can deal with it. You know, men are bad for it. You know, it's the classic thing. A man, a couple in the church calls, hey, can we come and talk to you and Becky, you know, because we got some issues. So you come in, they sit down, and you say, okay, so tell me what the issues are. Well, I don't have no issues. She's got issues. That's stupid. That's the way guys are. They don't have issues. You know why? Because they just stuff it and move on. You know, but their wives over there are suffering in the marriage, you know, because the guy ain't really being the guy he's supposed to be because he's stuffed the stuff for years and not, you know, thought it wasn't cool to deal with it. Men don't like to confess their ugliness to each other. It takes a lot of, um, it takes to take a man down real far to get him to confess all his ugly stuff. You know, to go to, a, to someone and talk to him. And that's just the way God made men, but he didn't make us to be that. He made men stronger, obviously, emotionally. Are you okay? I just want to encourage all of us, men and women, we've got to really take care of our whole self. You know, one time the Lord spoke to me years ago when I was really being blasted by the Holy Spirit. And he said, you, you cannot, this will not sustain you in life. This alone will not sustain you in life. So he said to him, there's other things in your life that you're going to need to do. You, that you, you need to have a social life. I created you with that need. You need to exercise. You need to look at how you eat and what you don't eat. That was the Lord talking to me when I was blasted by the Holy Spirit. He was telling me, That's, this is not all because you have a body, you have a soul, and you have a spirit. Are you Okay. Well, I hope you are. Don't let life catch up with you in a bad way. Uh, the next thing it says, Jesus humbled himself. You, we have to embrace humility. Everybody knows about humility. But I'm going to remind you of this, about the word humility in the Bible. I've studied this word extensively because I really realized I needed to be humble, more humble in my life. Humility is, in the Greek, is called a reflexive verb. This means you are to do something to yourself. That's what it means. It means you have to humble yourself. God doesn't want to humble you, but he will. There's an old saying, don't do God's job and he won't do your job. If God, the Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up. If you lift your, try to lift yourself up, you're doing God's job. God's going to go and do your job by humbling you. That's not a good day. It's not a good day. Um, another little statement I read one time, I think this came from somebody like some prophetic guy. might have been Bob Jones. There are only two kinds of people in the world, those who are humble and those who are about to be. I don't want to be one of those about to be guys. <clears throat> so humility is not an instinctive quality in any person. It's something we choose. We choose it. We choose to humble ourselves. And there's many definitions, but the one I like the best is the word humble means to live, surrender to God, to be brought low, get off your pedestal in life. John Kilpatrick, the guy I was telling you about, uh, also read some things he said about it. He said, humility, listen to this, is the watchword of revival. It's the watchword of revival. Humility is the watchword of revival. 
you know, lots of people have different thoughts of how to have a revival. And they had a lot, they had prayer for two years. But at the end, he said, you know, that was great. But the truth, it was humility. It's when God began to move, we humbled ourselves. We saw that it was God by the grace of God. And we just humbled ourselves. And that's where God was able to bring five million people through this church in four and a half years. Or four and a half million. Whatever, I can't remember. It was five years, four and a half million. Let me tell you just one other thing he said that I thought was profound. He, now, this is not ever revival. This is fascinating, though, when you study how revivals work and people that's in them. He said, um, and I'm, then I'm going to end real quick because it'll be late and y'all be mad. He said that for some reason in that revival, it, the Lord would really be moving powerful, but it's about midnight. Everything would shift, and it went like a way higher level. And they decided, you know what? We're just going to have to, we're just going to have to do this. We're just going to. He said there was a man one night that flew in. He was he was a Chinese businessman, a wealthy Chinese businessman. Flew in that day, went to that revival, and the next day he had to go home. He told John Kilpatrick. It was after midnight when y'all prayed for me. If y'all wouldn't have prayed for me, I would have never got touched by the Lord. My life would have never been changed like it was because I had one day. I had that one evening. And the next morning, I was getting on an airplane and going back to my home in China. And John Kilpatrick at that point said, you know what, we're going to stay here. He said they would, they would get there at 5 o'clock in the afternoon and pray, him and Steve Hill, the other guy, and land on them, and they would pray and just say, Lord, what do you think we want to do? And they would just pray, and then they would go do the meeting. And most of the time, they'd walk out the door as the sun was rising. God, that breaks my heart that somebody was willing to do that. For five years, he laid his life down to touch people. He wasn't, and he said it was hard. And he said it came to a point where they realized they couldn't keep going. They, they taught, we can't keep doing this. We're, we're breaking down. He said they would stand there and tremble when they were trying to minister. They would tremble because they'd be so weak in their bodies. And they realized that it, this was coming to an end. And they didn't want it to end, but they realized we can't keep doing this. We're gonna, it's going to start hurting us and we have to stop. And so that's why, and so they figured out another way. We'll stop and we'll just do weekend meetings and get special speakers to come. He said, but it was never the same again. He said, to, to this day, around four, 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon, he'll, this thing will come on him. Like, oh, i got to get ready. And then he realized, oh. But, so on the one hand, he was freed from something, you know. But on the other hand, it was the best thing to ever happen in his entire life. He said he had a chance he'd go do it all over again if he had, a, had an opportunity to do it. But he did say this about the revival, what he believes. This is what John Kilpatrick, and I tell you, he's an amazing guy. He's got a heart. He's like a Pentecostal guy. He's amazing. He says, I don't, he said, I think the next revival will not be like what happened at Brownsville and Toronto. Oh, and by the way, I didn't know this. His wife was in Toronto four months before, before the revival happened at Brownsville. She said she went to Toronto, and she said, I went up there, listen to y'all, I went up there loving Jesus. I loved him. 
but I came home in love with Jesus. And she said, I would spend, for four months, I spent three or four hours a day weeping before the Lord. Weeping before Jesus. And she said, and then the revival started. Not that I did it, but I actually brought something back with me from Toronto that got in Brownsville, even though it looked completely different. I just want to tell you, I thought that was cool beyond measure. I, I love all that stuff. He said he believed. this is John Kennedy believes the next revival that's going to happen in America will not be in one church. He says, I see it's going to be spread all over. It, won't, it might be in a house somewhere or a barn somewhere or any church. Isn't that beautiful? I'll tell you something, y'all. That's, God's going to do something. Well, the last thing was Jesus became obedient to death. Luke twenty two forty two. Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is a key thing. We don't talk about obedience enough, do we? But if we want the mind of Christ, we're going to have to obey. God's in charge. Okay? And Jesus' mindset was this. No matter what, even if it kills me, I'm going to obey the Lord. And folks, we're going to have to start having that kind of thing. So here are the, here are the five things to, and practical things that you... Are y'all good? Yeah. I hate saying that. I really don't. Really what I'm saying, am I good? I'm talking about mentally good. I know I ain't no good, okay? I ain't into that. I'm talking about me. This is hard to do, y'all. It really is. It's not easy. Embrace the mind of Christ, number one, by letting go of your reputation. Don't prioritize your reputation. Period. Just stop doing that. If you want to be popular, you want to be well-known, you want to be something, you're going to cut yourself off from the flow of God's thoughts. Number two, you're going to have to choose to serve. You're going to have to get a heart to serve something besides you and your, your thing. You're going to have to look outside yourself and find a way to serve something that God cares about, that God loves, and ask God to show you how to do that. And I can give you 150 examples of amazing service in this room. You need Number three is you need to embrace your humanity and take care of your humanity. Okay? And when you get older, you'll be glad you did. And number four, you need to humble yourself. And number five, you need to be obedient. Amen? Thank you for listening to a River Life Fellowship podcast. To get more information, check out riverlifefellowship.com.